Okay, good morning, everybody. This is a Monday morning, and uh, we're coming to you from the Complete Sports Media Podcast Studios. And really excited today, we've got a special guest joining us. Uh, uh, some of you might recognize him, but I'm going to give a little bit of a bio and uh, explain who we've got joining us today. Uh, Tanner Vilbon Nicholas Bozer. <laughs> <laughs> gotta use gotta use all my middle names hey <laughs> sure uh you probably know tanner as uncle bose on danger cats or the uh friendly neighborhood bouncer at diamonds in edmonton of course uh that's his uh night job uh formerly or, or the pokemon master who has searched for pokemon guys uh uh, in eight different countries around the world. Uh, uh, I think uh, <laughs> I've heard, uh, you know, that's one of your favorite pastimes to do outside your job. We will probably talk about his day job uh, in a sec, but um, do, do, have I covered some of the other activities that you have going on, Tanner? Uh, yeah, you got uh, lots of your bases covered, that's for sure. Uh this is going to be fun. Uh, we were put in touch with a mutual friend. Uh, I guess you're a heavy metal fan. Uh, you got to see Showcore uh, last time they came through Edmonton. Tell me about um, that night and that concert and uh, meeting those guys. Yeah, uh, Sal from Showcore is actually a good friend of mine. So when they came to the city, they actually came to St. Albert, which is basically it's it's a part of Edmonton for those who don't know it's technically its own city but it's just on the outskirts of Edmonton basically attached and they were playing at a, a bar um, in St. Albert that's like a minute drive from where I live so yeah it was uh it was fun it was uh wicked wicked to see him live because I I never have me and Sal weren't uh buddies when they were originally a band so um you know they're getting together doing some tours or whatever and it was it was definitely a fun time to go out there and see Showcore. Yeah, no, they, it was really great. Uh, I was a fan of them and their original uh, original lineup when they went on tour and then they had a bit of a hiatus and it was really nice to see them uh, have another album, get another cross Canada tour. They were supposed to do another one in 2020, but the pandemic hit and they yeah. too, but uh, we're hoping to hear uh, some updates that they are going to come across Canada again and you'll have to get a chance to go see them again. Yeah, for sure. When uh, everything gets back to normal, that'll be good. If anybody uh, doesn't know Showcore, I'm going to play a short little clip and uh, let you know uh, uh, this is their biggest hit. Uh, let's play something from Showcore real quick. It's going to be great to uh, see Corey and the band here. Uh, they, uh, this is their big hit, Bone Cracker. So uh, obviously very fun band, uh, high energy, uh, amazing live show. If you uh, hear them coming through your town, uh, don't miss them. Uh, fantastic thing. Uh, I heard that you uh, punched 
the guitarist uh, in the leg, and, and oh, uh, he had that was Sal. Yeah, he had a bruise for a good week and a half. Uh, he said his leg was dead pretty much the next day. Uh, do you remember? It was that? A, yeah, it was a kick. He wanted me to leg. He wanted me to leg kick him at. I don't know. It was something like he was drunk as fuck, and he was like, "Man, just give me a leg kick at like ah, like twenty five percent or thirty percent or something." And I mean, if your leg's not used to it, and you know, you know, it's not used to taking impact, like your your leg meat actually toughens up and gets better at taking it. When you're new, it sucks. And I didn't kick him overly hard, but I mean, I made sure he felt it. And yeah, he uh, he was limping good for a while. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, you've got some of the deadliest kicks in the UFC. Uh, let's talk about your day job. Um, you are a rising contender in the UFC heavyweight division. Uh, you've had five fights in the UFC. Uh, you were a very busy, busy guy uh, before you got into the UFC. Uh, I know you'd like to be a little busier once you, you're there, but uh, tell me about your experience so far in the last couple of years uh, in the UFC. I mean, it's, it's been pretty awesome. I, uh, debuted October, uh, 2019 and, um, I was supposed to debut in the summer and on the Edmonton card in July of 2019, but my opponent there tested positive for steroids. So then I, it was too late to get a replacement. So my debut kind of got pushed back to October and yeah, I've, done okay i i i won my first fight uh against daniel spitz by decision i then lost to cyril gone by decision and then i had a couple of knockouts where i knocked out felipe Linz and Rafael pessoa and then um i uh lost my last fight by a uh, decision to andre arlovsky Uh, you, you really shot to the forefront, uh, got a lot of notoriety and started getting, uh, you know, more popular with the people that don't really follow the sport on an everyday basis with your two knockouts with Felipe Lin and Rafael Pessoa. Uh, tell me about the difference in your life. Did things change in any way after those two big knockouts? I definitely became a lot more recognizable after those two get recognized a lot more um i got a good payday on the pessoa fight at least so um after that my life changed in a way where i wasn't having to just you know scrape by between fights and 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 really really be waiting for my next fight in order to like if i don't get that fight i'm screwed kind of thing uh so that was nice um yeah i guess that's not like it changed my life or something like that. Like there's no insane change. It's just little things. Sure. Well, the 50 K uh, bonus for performance of the night, I guess, uh, you know, stops that worry. Uh, most mixed martial artists until they kind of become very prominent. Uh, it's a struggle, isn't it? Financially, it's really tough, isn't it? It can be. Most times you have to have another job. Uh, either you got to have a ton of sponsors or yeah, or you got to be working something else. So, it is what it is. It's until you, until you get into a big league that's paying you enough to just do it. That's just the way she goes. Uh, what about when your job burned down 
did that yeah uh, did that change your life at all are you able to get more sleep now at least because uh, you're not working nights like that yeah when so i worked at like you mentioned earlier at the start of the podcast i was a bouncer at diamonds uh in edmonton which was a club and it burned down and uh yeah after that i worked at a couple other clubs um until covid hit so i was working at I was working at a couple clubs in the city. I really didn't like the other jobs. I liked the guy I worked under. I, I worked for a guy who had kind of like a, a security agency type. So he would just kind of put us in like different bars or different places and stuff like that. I liked him. Uh, good guy. Uh, but the bars I worked at or the clubs I worked at, I really, I really didn't like him. I, I kind of had it made at diamonds and then when diamonds burned down, you know, financially, yeah, I was, I was, uh, worried, I guess, but like, you know, I, I got lucky in that UFC actually, they paid me my show money for the fight that got canceled in July, which, you know, just to get your show money when you're on a new contract, like fresh in the UFC is not a ton, but it def it helped me get by without it. I would have kind of been pooched. So that was fine. And then, uh, yeah, COVID hit, uh, things got canceled. I was supposed to fight Jeff Hughes and that fight got canceled because of COVID the whole couple cards got canceled. And then I ended up when they started, uh, doing cards back up again and, and they were able to bring Canadians in. Then I got on that June card and, um, was able to get the quick turnaround in July. I fought under a month after like three weeks later. And that was the one where I made some money. So yeah, after diamonds burned down, it was definitely a bit of a stress point, but, uh, I, I was able to work other odds and ends bouncer type gigs. Um, yeah, I get more sleep now for sure. It's, it's better for my training regimen and health for sure to not have to work, uh, you know, go to sleep at like, you work till three, you got to close up. And then by the time you get home and have a shower, you know, you're going to bed at like 5 a.m. So it's, which isn't horrible if, if you're training in the early afternoon first, it actually works out. You know, it's kind of the ideal job time-wise, but not having to do that and being able to focus more on, on, uh, I guess on like just eating well and things like that and, and doing a little more strength and conditioning. Um, it was it was a real big stress point for a bit, but uh, I think it was kind of a blessing in disguise in the end. Yeah, yeah those back-to-back -back paydays must have been nice. Um, lots of guys don't like that quick turnaround because they don't get a camp. Uh, you talked about the quarantine situation. Uh, I know, um, you know a lot of people are frustrated with the quarantine situation if they have a job that takes them away from Canada. Uh, do you think that they could have changed the rules where you could have just... Um, had a negative test and proved a couple of negative tests and not had to do that 14 day quarantine. So, you know, you have the ability to get back training pretty soon. Yeah. It makes no sense. It, you can get like, when you go to the States to fight or go um, anywhere to fight, they just test you, test you a couple times. You get a couple negative tests and you're good to go. So when Canada had ample tests at the start, when, when there's not enough tests, then I guess, yeah, you know, you're, you're not at the front of the line because you're not somebody who could be sick and could have serious complications. But I mean, in my opinion, and I mean, I'm just an asshole, but like, why can't you just get a negative test or two and then be free? It doesn't make sense. You, 
you could book a negative test, get a negative test. And I mean, now there's a quarantine hotel. I don't know if you've heard about that. You have to go to it when you return from out of the country and you get a negative test at the hotel before you're allowed to leave. And then you still have to quarantine at home. I don't know, man. Like it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fucked. Yeah. Uh, you do like taking a little rest, at least a week, uh, after a fight. Uh, I guess those two fights were, uh, so quick. You didn't take a lot of damage though. You didn't have to, uh, stay away from the gym because of that. So, uh, but would you, you probably would have taken a week off, uh, completely from, well, from anything? I, I mean, cause of the quarantine I did, I took two weeks off yeah. or whatever. Like, yeah, I fought three weeks later. So I took two weeks off where I, I definitely, you know, you're supposed to stay in your place of residence. You can't leave. I didn't go to the gym, you know? Um, so when I got that fight offered, Hey, do you want to fight Pessoa? Um, in between there, actually, I got offered Marcin Tabura, who's uh, a really good fighter from Poland. Uh, but I said, I'm like, I'm quarantined. If, and it was like that week. I'm like, if I show up to the airport this week, I don't know how it works. I might very well get arrested. You know, like I'm, I'm I can't leave my house or my apartment. So I'm stuck. So that they were like, okay, well that's nothing you can do about that. And then they called as soon as my quarantine was up, it was the Monday. So I'm, I'm getting ready to go to the gym for the first time in two weeks after just being home. So like, all I can do is order, skip the dishes and like, you know, enjoy some beer and stuff like that. So I get this fight offer and uh, I'm like, okay, yeah. Like I want to do it, you know, back-to-back paydays really, really good. Cause you know, when you haven't fought in a while, the first one just kind of, you know, paying off some stuff like, uh, yeah. So I, I took it. Well, I went to, I said, let me get, like, give me till the end of the day. I'll talk to my coaches. I want to do it. My coaches were like, Hey, well I would leave in three days. So I'd have three days of training. And they were like, well, we're going to get the, get the poison out of you then. And, uh, I had to hit the, there's this really terrible cardio circuit we have to do every week, but I mean, they don't usually have to do it after just binging for two weeks straight, not doing anything else. I, I did that. And then my coaches were just pushing me and I was just doing such high paced stuff. Like my insides, I felt like, like the, like alien was coming out of my stomach. It, seriously, my stomach was like in knots. It was the worst three days of training of my life in order to try and put me back, back in the shape I was in two weeks prior. Uh, yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I, I pretty much, I like died. I think I threw up after the circuit. My coach was like, well, you got the, you got good numbers. Like you, you did fine. You, you can, if you do this fight and you can perform for 15 minutes, you can throw up and die after. So, uh, I took the fight and then things obviously, ended up going my way and I'm, I'm really happy I did take that fight. Uh, we have noticed a change in you and your body. Uh, your strength and conditioning seems to be good. I've heard that you're eating a lot more clean. You've stayed away from the beer probably. Uh, uh, I've heard from your coaches that you are one of the most professional guys that they've ever dealt with. So you, you don't, uh, you don't tend to stray too far away from your job and the things necessary to get you, you know, keep you in top shape. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the best shape I've ever been in for sure, but, uh, I was never a guy who wasn't taking fights seriously. Even when I didn't like look the same physically, I wasn't a guy who was drinking beer in, in fight camp or anything like that. And I honestly, I never really, I, I don't, 
I never ate super clean, but I never ate shitty either. I still don't. I'm pretty middle of the road. If I eat super clean, I would, I get skinny. I can't maintain um, the size I need to maintain. Uh, but yeah, it, the strength and conditioning has come a long way. I've, I've really, um, really put a lot of emphasis on that in the, the last year. That was a big change. Oh, thanks. Yeah, well, we've noticed a big change. Have you noticed a big change? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm way stronger. Uh, my gas tank's better, but that's always actually been good. But I'm way stronger, and it's noticeable. Uh, you train at a couple of different gyms, Frank Lee's Muay Thai kickboxing, as well as the, the sweat shop. Uh, yeah. Tell me about the opponents that you spar with there. Uh, you know, are you dealing with really a, a lot of heavyweights there every day? Nope. Uh, in terms of heavyweights, I have uh, Christian Larson, who's the probably he's like the third ranked heavyweight in Canada right now behind me and Arjun Buller. Um, other heavyweights, uh, my training partner, Miles Anstead, who actually used to be a middleweight, but he retired several years ago and just got super jacked, but he's still extremely a uh, really good fighter, really, really particularly good on the ground. Um, those are my two guys who are, are, are heavyweights truly. Uh, there's guys over the 205 limit that I train with. Yes. But they're, they're guys who would cut down to 205, like Graham Park, uh, who's uh, one of the top light heavyweights in Canada and Sterling Machetti, who's going to make his pro debut soon, hopefully. And uh, then the middleweight type guys, Teddy Ash and KB Buller, you know, those guys are, animals they're a couple weight classes lower than me typically teddy fights at 205 as well kb's fighting uh, the ufc this upcoming saturday so look for that fight uh i have i have good trading partners um in terms of heavyweights just a couple but i don't think there's too many gyms that have a, a roster of high level heavyweights only uh, can you describe a little bit uh, on the the two gyms there your two coaches uh jeff and kajiro they uh uh they've been your coaches uh for many years uh, tell me what uh, what they bring to you yeah um jeff is my coach at shave bears mma which is out of little sweatshop which is a gym that him and his wife shelly own uh and kajiro is my coach at frankly's muay thai so kajiro is my striking coach and um he's he's kind of responsible for uh, everything I do nearly on the feet, Jeff has elements in there, but Jeff is, uh, my, my grappling coach, strength and conditioning coach. He's, he's my all around coach. Um, he's a wicked striker himself. So yeah, I got, I got a couple good coaches that, uh, when they, they you know, they tell me to jump, I kind of just say how high I'm, I just listen. So I'm glad, I'm glad to have both of them. And, uh, I'm lucky that, uh, I got two awesome coaches like them. I had a chance to talk to Jeff a few days ago, and uh, we had a great conversation. Uh, he was 2-0 in his mixed martial arts career, uh, two knockouts. Uh, I was like, uh, why did you give up then? Uh, sounds like a, a really good start to his career. But he said he started late. He was in uh, the uh, military for many years and, and didn't get into um, martial arts, didn't really have the uh, gyms around, the coaches around, the people around to – uh, you know, get him on the rise like you've been on. So 
uh, it's great that he's been able to take guys like you and mentor them and help them, uh, you know, achieve their dreams. Uh, yeah, seems like a very fantastic guy. Yeah, he is. Uh, it was just circumstantial, like all the stuff you mentioned. He got into it late and whatnot. We we all believe that uh, had Jeff continued to fight professionally, he would have been a fairly high profile guy. He's uh, he's not normal in a lot of ways. He's a he's a complete outlier. Uh, I tried reaching Cadro, uh, no success. Uh, he's a pretty elusive guy here. Uh, <laughs> do you have as much trouble uh, reaching him as we did? He, he reaches you. He okay. lets you know. Yeah, you won't get a hold of him. Okay. Um, so, okay, so there's a great uh, burgeoning uh, MMA scene in Alberta. Uh, you came from a small town, an oil field town, uh, Bonneville, and then came to Edmonton, uh, had your opportunity to get into these gyms, and then you were able to get into unified MMA, and you fought there a lot of times. Uh, you seem to fight there almost every second card they had uh, one of the best uh, MMA organizations in Canada for any of you that are listening or watching this, um, please try to get some of the fights. Uh, fantastic organization. Tell me about how great of a time you had in unified MMA. Uh, my very first fight was in unified. And then I fought for unified, like I think 10 times or around there anyway. Uh yeah, it was a mainstay. So it was in Edmonton. They had cards several times a year. And, and whenever I wanted a fight, they were more than happy to find me an opponent and put me on the card. So, yeah, we're we're lucky to have Unified here and to be able to, for guys around this area, to be able to um, kind of fight at your leisure, you know, before COVID anyways. You don't have to scramble to get on a card somewhere. Um you're a local guy and you can sell a handful of tickets. They'll get you a fight. So yeah, unified, uh, unified was definitely a, a kind of a cornerstone of my career for sure. How many friends and family would uh, attend some of those events of yours? Oh, lots. Um, I would usually sell like tables have about 10 people at them and I would sell four or five and then I would sell, between 50 and 100 general admission, probably depending on the event, 75, 100. So, yeah, probably like I'd probably have 100, 150 people I'd sell tickets to. Yeah. So you would have had massive support if you got to fight on that Edmonton card. Uh, how disappointing was it when that fight fell by the wayside because of the, the fighter testing positive? Yeah, I was really disappointed. I was uh, I was really bummed out for a few days. Like, fuck, that sucked. Um, yeah, that would have been a great place to make my de debut uh, in UFC. Would have been would have been awesome, man. On top of that, it would have been a great performance because Giacomo Limos fucking sucks. Would have knocked him the fuck out. Yeah, that was, uh, that was disappointing for all Canadian MMA fans. Uh, we really, um, we love having uh, UFC cards locally here because there are a lot of Canadians that get on the cards. Uh, get some showcase, uh, you know, it was uh, a shock to everyone and uh, really disappointing. Uh, you've had a few fights fall by the wayside. Uh, tell me one about that uh, fell by the wayside from Mo Green. Uh, oh. I, don't, uh, I don't know the details too much about that one. It didn't, oh, 
Yeah. Okay. So what happened there was after this fight uh, that I was supposed to make it in Edmonton fell through, uh, I got offered tentatively a fight a few weeks or a couple or a few weeks later in, in Anaheim. They said, do you want to fight Maurice Green? And I said, sure. And then he turned me down and he didn't specify a reason. Uh, and then they ended up getting him a different guy to fight. He, his reason when I, uh, he talked to me later on, uh, like a year later, nearly, um, in Vegas was he wanted a top 15 guy. And I mean, he was on a win streak at the time. I, I, and he did end up fighting, uh, like a higher ranked guy. So I believe him, but you know, fuck him anyway, for not taking that fight. <laughs> I would have liked to have had a, would have liked to have had a fight before October. So that that's what happened there. And then I called him out a couple times and UFC didn't want to make the fight. So, oh, well. How did you feel the first time you made that appearance? You finally uh, made the UFC lo- a long-term goal. Uh, what were the feelings like walking to the cage, uh, seeing familiar faces around the cage, actually stepping into the octagon and getting ready to fight? What, what, were, what were you feeling inside? What were you thinking? Uh, yeah, it, I guess it is pretty surreal. When I, when I made my debut, I was the very, very first fight of the card on, in Boston. The crowd wasn't really packed yet. You know, there's, uh, just a scattering of people. Um, I, and it, it was a free card. So you're not seeing the, the Joe Rogans. I mean, I had seen, I'd met very, very briefly, you know, met Dana White, but at that card, you know, when Bruce Buffer, I guess, announces your, your name and, and says that you're live or whatever, that that's pretty crazy. So yeah, it's definitely a strange emotion, but at the same time, you're, you know, you're there to do a job. I was very focused and uh, those kind of things don't really like get to me that much. Yeah, it was, I was sort of expecting that type of answer because you've actually fought all over the world on some big cards. Uh, can you believe how far mixed martial arts has taken you. I, I want to list off a lot of the places that you've been and you fought at. Uh, you fought in Russia three different times, Moscow, St. Petersburg, and Groni. You fought in Kazakhstan. You fought in Busan, South Korea, Manchester, England, Brisbane, Australia, Dubai, and Abu Dhabi. You fought in Montreal a couple times, Vegas, Boston. Uh, man, you have been all over the world with this. Uh, could you have imagined that when you were just a young guy growing up first getting into fighting? Uh, no, probably not. Um, I didn't even real, you know, I guess I didn't even realize how uh, many opportunities there are to fight abroad. Um, when, the very first time I got offered a fight in Russia, though, was, was my first one out of the country, and I, I jumped on it. It was just in my head, even though it was like it was like nine days notice, something dumb again. I, it doesn't I was, take nine days to get there? <laughs> oh, man, I, they, they actually flew us to England for a few days so we could get a passport, um, or a, sorry, a visa, a Russian visa overnight, because there's no Russian embassy in Alberta, so... The Russian embassies are in Toronto and, and Montreal. So instead, it was actually easier for them to fly us to London and for us to go in person in London and apply for a Russian visa and then pick it up the next day. So um, 
yeah, we, we were in London for three days before we went to Russia, which was, again, that was Grozny and that's in the Chechen Republic. So we had to fly, uh, to, to Kazakh or no, to Dagestan. And we took a batch, like a van with us and a handful of other fighters through, through Dagestan to get to Chechnya. And, uh, it, it was wild. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I enjoy seeing other places at this point. I'm kind of just happy to fight wherever, but it's definitely been, um, uh, I've definitely had a lot of cool experiences and, and seen a lot of places that I definitely would not have had the opportunity or ability to do without it. And I am thankful for those uh, experiences. Yeah, well, you must be. Uh, I've I've talked to people that uh, you know have been able to travel uh, in places like that uh, through sport, and you know it seems like such an amazing opportunity. Somebody else is paying for the the flights and the accommodation and getting you there, so uh, it's pretty terrific. Uh, the unfortunate part about fighting in Russia that I hear from a lot of people is that. You have to knock out, submit, or almost kill a, a Russian guy to win a decision. Uh, I look on your record, and you've lost five decisions to Russian fighters in your career. Uh, that has to be a frustrating part. Yeah, I, well, I lost my my fight in Grozny to Kazbek Sidalev, and I lost that fight. It was a decision, but I definitely actually lost. I lost a split decision to uh, Mohamed Vakayev, and he ended up being the champion of ACB after he beat me. Uh, he hasn't lost in a long time. That fight, that fight was in England, so, but it was in a Russian league. The fight really was close. Um, I thought I won, but I'm sure he thought he won, and uh, like, yeah, I might have won, but I don't really have a strong argument. I lost to Smolderev, who is from Estonia. Uh, that fight I for sure lost. Um, and the other one, though, is the, the Kazakhstan fight where I fought a guy from Azerbaijan, and uh, it was a draw. And that one I won. There's really no fucking way you could make that a draw except to not be so rude as to give me a loss and to not, you know, you just wasn't going to beat him, so... Yeah, that one, that one was shifty. Um, but I, I guess I think it's just three Russians, right? Well, there's actually just two Russians and an Estonian, which well, I guess yeah. you're saying same difference. And then Arlovsky, which was in the UFC, so that's different. He's Belarusian. Yeah, but well, yeah, you're yeah, you're, you're I, right. I, I don't have a don't have I'm not having a good time with the Eastern Europeans, eh? No, no. Yeah, I shouldn't lump them all together. I should yeah sort of separate them, but uh, yeah. Um, Okay, you mentioned oh, oh, right, right. Razalov. No, I forgot Razalov. I took that guy on a couple of weeks notice too at a 285 catch weight. And that fight was really boring and shitty on both of our ends. And when I watch it back, I think I won, but it kind of sucked. So I can't really, can't really like, or again, I knew I wasn't going to beat him. He was like a former champion of ACB. If I didn't knock him out, I wasn't going to beat him, but he won a unanimous decision. And yeah, that fight that fight i might have won somewhere else too actually 
You mentioned Arlovsky. Uh, let's touch on that a little bit. That's the, that's your last fight in the UFC. Obviously a legend. Obviously, you know, everybody talks about his experience and being a former champion and all this kind of stuff. But um, why don't you tell us how you felt uh, in the fight? Uh, we, I, I have some, you know, view from my side, but I wasn't in there. Tell me about uh, how those 15 minutes went and um, yeah, how you felt at the end. Well, at the end, I felt disappointed because I didn't win. And that's the entire, you know, the entire objective. So I was, I was disappointed. And when it went to decision, I knew it was close enough, but I figured I won and then I didn't. So fuck me. I should have done more. My view of it, and I've watched it actually numerous times, and my view of it is if the rounds could have been four minutes and 55 seconds, I think you would have won. Because uh, he landed a really big shot right at the very end of the first round, and there wasn't, yes. a, lot, wasn't a lot of shots landed in that first round. Uh, you did a lot of leg kicks and, and landed those for sure, but uh, no big power shots were landed by either guy, correct? Yeah, the hardest punch around one was for sure him right at the very end. So very end. that that'll influence the judges. It was smart. Yeah. Uh, same thing happened in round two. Uh, do you remember the very end of round two? He landed, uh, I think, a spinning back fist that that landed maybe two seconds before the. Yeah, that that like his arm hit my head and I punched him in the face right after. Like that exchange should have been considered even. I. I don't know about that one, but I mean, what am I going to do, man? I, it wasn't a fight that I have a, like, you can argue I won, but you can also argue he won. So what am I going to do? I, I lost. I had a different, um, 29, 28 across the board, but every single judge gave me a different round, which shows you how close every round was. So I didn't do enough. Like it sucks. I, of course I regret it. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, do you consider yourself a counter striker? Is that how you would describe yourself? No, that's how everybody would describe me after that last fight, even though two fights before that, everybody said I was a power puncher. So everybody's opinion changes every single fight because everybody has a short attention span and are fucking stupid. <laughs> okay. Uh, tell me about, uh, did the game plan evolve or change or did it stay the same after the first round? Do you remember what your corner was telling you? Do you remember in between rounds, anything about uh, what your corner was saying? I think they just said like I was doing I was doing everything right and just a little more volume. I I was yeah he caught me with a hard punch at the end, but I mean that's the only offense he had in round one. I I, I still don't think that that one punch should have stole him the entire round when I was up like you know thirty significant strikes or something like that. But it is what it is. Like I'm not gonna sit here and, and bitch about it. Okay. Well, yeah, I you know, I it's tough. Uh, you know, a loss like that. Um, you know, it's just uh, difficult uh, that if you would have had a win, you know, I thought you won the fight. Uh, you know, I've watched it a few times, as I said, and uh, yeah, I was just, um, yeah, just not knowing everything that's going on because I'm not in the cage. Uh, just kind of started wondering how you were feeling. Did, uh, you know, did you change the game plan at all? Did you, um, yeah, it, was it, uh, you know, a thought in your mind when it went to decision? Uh, did you think you were going to get the decision? That type of thing. That's what, you know, had crossed my mind as I watched him. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew it was close, but I was hopeful and thought that oh, the decision should be mine, but 
I knew it was close. So I just, whatever, like I yeah. just didn't do enough. That's just how it goes. I, I know everybody, I, I hear it all the fucking time still. Well, what happened? What do you mean? What happened? I knock out two guys before that's fucking fantastic. I'm not just going to knock out everybody or else I'd be the fucking champion. That's not how it works. You know, I didn't get him. Hey, next opponent is Ilir Latifi. You fight on June the 5th, which happens to be my birthday. So I'm going to celebrate with a few beers and watching you take a big win. I, uh, I talked to a lot of people and I said, uh, imagine if you were trying to smash something and you had a bulldozer and a sledgehammer, which one would you uh, choose? And everybody chose the bulldozer. So uh, yeah, I guess everybody's on, on your side, nickname wise, but uh, tell me about the challenges that uh, Latifi will uh, pose for you in this matchup. Uh, he's a really strong wrestler, physically strong and, uh, and really skilled, especially at wrestling. Uh, he's fairly short, oh, really short for the division. Um, great top control and pressure on top. And he does punch well. He kicks well too, but his, his physical attributes make it so his kicks aren't like a, as big of a threat as his other things, although he low kicks pretty hard. Punches well, takedowns extremely well. And uh, those are the challenges he'll pose. Coming off some losses, um, possibly looking at maybe losing his UFC uh, job. Uh, do you see somebody that comes out really super strong immediately when they're in that situation? I mean, he's coming from good gyms, so they're not just going to tell him to go be reckless or something. But I mean, yeah, he'll probably try and put the pressure on me right away. Uh, makes sense. It's, it's, it's a fight, and whoever is able to implement their game plan better is going to win this one it's it's a hard fight and yeah he's coming off a couple losses but they're not exactly to to joe schmoes i don't know if you looked at the list of guys but uh yeah it's gonna be a banger of a fight uh you talked about um he's not going to be reckless he's not going to you know just run out and and fight that way uh i i've only heard of you doing that on a couple of occasions and one of the occasions uh you suffered your only knockout loss of your career to tim haig um you, you land he landed a, an immediate early punch and, and knocked you out you were able to avenge that loss uh how great did that feel when you were able to face him for a second time and and beat him uh, it felt great. I was, I spent a like a couple of years of my life trying to, um, training to beat that guy and, uh, thinking about him all the time, just focusing on, on, uh, beating him. So when I finally took him out after the worst loss of my career, it was obviously a great feeling. Um, us in the know, us in the mixed martial arts community know what uh, eventually happened to Tim. Uh, he ended up um, suffering a, a brain injury in a boxing match uh, about a year later after um, fighting you and uh, ended up passing away from it. Um, I've heard a lot of um, conversation about him and all the um, issues about that. Um, <laughs> What were your thoughts when you when you heard the news? Um, it was it had to be hard to uh, know that you know somebody that you've actually faced and you know knew in that local community uh, died um, you know doing what they love. 
Yeah. Um, it's weird and it's hard to explain because Tim was like my arch nemesis, man. We didn't get along. Like I, there was, we were, um, okay. At the end, after I beat him, we, we, there was a mutual respect there, I guess. Um, but like, we did not like each other, but, uh, when you, when you're some of the shittiest times of your life and the highest times of your life are like tied to one person, like, my my horrible defeat to him and then my my win to him uh and you spend so much time like just trying to beat the shit out of one particular person it's weird um even if you don't like them you're kind of tied to them and like i said me and tim didn't really have animosity uh anymore when that that you know tragic thing happened to him but yeah i was i was really sad and i honestly didn't really know why and i think i just came to realize that it's because uh so many um like like i said the one of the one of the best times like highest moments in my life and lowest moments in my life are, are tied to him so like him or hate him he was uh kind of a a, a part of my life in a way I dealt a lot with mixed martial arts in my life, helping fighters in numerous ways, helping some of the local leagues here and, and uh, covering the UFC. And one of the things that really frustrated me about um, athletic commissions was that a lot of times guys had to fight uh, in underground fighting. They had to fight on reservations. They weren't able to get sanctions, regulations, that type of thing. I was really critical of um, our local athletic commission uh, that Alberta athletic commission allowed that Tim Haig fight to happen when he should have had more time between his last fight. Uh, the frustration that I feel probably is nothing like people like you uh, immersed in the MMA community feel. Uh, is there things that um, are still not good about what happens in the athletic commissions? not my area i don't want to talk about it okay all right i get you no worries uh it's been uh it's been yeah it's been very tough and uh you know i've had some friends um so for some severe um injuries and some tough things and so yeah uh i get you though i'm not wanting to to go there um okay uh i'm going to buy you a beer next time i see you and you told the reporters that you gathered with in abu dhabi i think uh that uh, you would trade shorts for a beer so uh can we make a trade some shorts for a beer i can uh uh sell your shorts uh make some money for some local uh kids around here in the community uh is that something that we can do i don't have any extra shorts i've already given them all away man Tell me, tell that story. Uh, if anybody hasn't heard, uh, I think uh, Maurice Green uh, stole your shorts. Yeah, uh, the Abu Dhabi room service people they they would do a load of laundry for you a day, and they I had my my fight shorts from my previous fight when I was down there just to train in, and they managed to lose them somehow. And then somebody told me like, yeah, strangest thing, I saw someone wearing some Bozer shorts in the in the lobby, and I'm like wait so i like realized i hadn't got them back i got my my clothes back but not those shorts 
I'm like, who was wearing them? And uh, wasn't able to track them down, but they must have just put them in the wrong room somehow. It got mixed up, and then some other assholes just didn't think twice about it. It was just walking around wearing some of my old fight shorts. And then, yeah, uh, they, I, I was obviously kind of chapped about it, and they, they left uh, a case of beer in my in my room for after the fight. So they, uh, they compensated me for the shorts. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That was a uh, funny hearing the story. I, I'm amazed uh, the guy's just walking around with your shorts on. Uh, I don't think I'd be wearing uh, somebody's fight shorts. Uh, if they just happen to show up in my room, that's kind of bizarre. Uh, who knows? Uh, okay. Uh, I heard that your mom was a, a gym owner growing up. Uh, uh, was that a gym that there was any fighting in? She still owns a gym in Bonneville, actually. It's uh, called High Energy. Um, yeah, my, my parents owned a gym ever since I was a little kid. There was no martial arts at it, no. There, there is now, um, well, not now because of COVID, but there was. My brother teaches, or taught anyways, jujitsu out of there. And uh, there have been other programs here and there in the past, but uh, no, growing up, there wasn't any martial arts at it. What is Bonneville like? It's an oil field town. Uh, can you describe, uh, describe growing up there? You spent the first 21 years of your life there. Uh, what, what was it like? It's just the, the town I grew up in. There's not a ton of notable things about it. Yep, the oil field was uh, booming there for a while, and people would come there for work, and a lot of jobs around there for a while until there wasn't. And that's Bonneville. There's a couple of NHL players that have come from there. Uh, did you play hockey? Were you an enforcer uh, on the ice uh, growing up? No, actually, I never played hockey. Did, uh, did you uh, enjoy working in the oil fields? What's your, what's your thoughts about working in the oil fields? Uh, was that uh, uh, something that you really wanted to avoid really in your life? No, I never wanted to avoid it. And I never had a particular affinity for it. I, I worked at a company called Bonneville Water Conditioning and I, I drove around a truck and delivered water. Um, I delivered water to big oil field sites for several years to like, um, SO like Imperial oil and Synovus and Canna, but I didn't work in the oil field, like in camps or doing oil field stuff. I just supplied them with water. Uh, I worked there for four years it was a good job, but I just needed to do something else and wanted to try my hand at fighting. There is a there's a bit of a story. I know you probably can't get into too much details, but your first coach uh, taught you karate, uh, mm, jujitsu, yeah. jujitsu. Sorry, jujitsu. Um, yeah, can you just briefly describe uh, what happened to him? Yeah, um, name is Jake Sandstrom, and and uh, he was my jujitsu coach in Bonneville. So he was a friend of a friend, kind of showed up at at my mom's gym where we were training me and my brother or whatever and some buddies training you know we're idiots uh i had one pro fight at the time my first pro fight which was a shit show and he just kind of showed up and we were doing some boxing or something 
then he was, uh, he, he was all right at boxing. You know, he, he knew, he, he knew the basics and stuff. And then after he was like, yeah, I just want to do some jujitsu. And we we're like, Oh yeah. Do you, you know, some jujitsu. And he said that he was from Calgary and he was a Brown belt. And we're like, Oh, awesome. And he, he knew his stuff. He's a, a definitely a really good at jujitsu. And he, uh, then we just, she just, she's like, Hey, you guys want to come back on whatever other, you know, Thursday. And we're like, yeah, let's do it. And, and then he just made regular training sessions. He taught me and my brother, uh, you know, the basics of jujitsu and, and would come in and work with us all the time. And then he ended up actually doing a, a jujitsu program out of the gym for quite a while. He's, te- you know, he had an adult class who taught kids, did kids classes and stuff. He was a really good guy. And, and, uh, just over a year ago, him and his uncle were out hunting and they got a moose and, uh, something happened and some couple, couple guys murdered him. So they, they shot him and his uncle. And, um, I don't know the motive. A lot of people think it was racially motivated. Uh, Jake was Métis, uh, as was his uncle. And, um, yeah. Uh, that's what happened. It's still going through the court system. I, I believe they've been denied um, bail, but I don't. Uh, I don't know. There's been. There's still been no. Um. Uh. Fuck. No. Sentence hearing or, or whatever. Um. That's still being sorted out. How big of a shock did that uh, cause in your life um, and, and the, a lot of the guys' lives that, you know, trained under him and uh, knew him just as a regular, you know, nice guy? Yeah, of course, there, it shocked a lot of people. You know, he, he was a, a good guy and a uh, good, good man in the community. You know, he was doing charity events. I remember he put together a, him and his wife had some charity event where we were filling up a sea can with, I don't know what, it was just like, tell me and my buddies to come help and sending stuff down to the floods in Calgary there, you know, this is almost nearly a decade ago or to Banff for when, or Canmore, wherever those floods were. Uh, and yeah, teach, he said he taught kids jujitsu classes. He's a good guy. Um, he didn't live in Bonneville at the time of his passing. Uh, he was down in that area hunting, but, uh, and I think he had just been laid off. So he was working in the area. They were living in Lethbridge area at the time. Uh, he's a volunteer firefighter there as well. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it, of course it's sad and a shock to me, but I mean, it doesn't matter like about me, man. Like the guy's got a wife and, and like young kids, you know, like a young family, it's fucked up. It's a really, really sad situation. And, you know, hopefully if there's, uh, any justice in the court system, those guys that did that, uh, are going to get a, a long time in jail. Yeah, hope so too. Yeah, brutal. Uh, thanks for sharing. I know it must be tough uh, to even think about. Uh, yeah, what a what a horrible thing to happen. Uh, you mentioned your brother. Uh, he's a pro fighter. I understand. Uh, tell me about him, and uh, are we going to see him emerge? Uh, yeah, he had a. He's one and zero as a pro, and um, he hasn't fought in years. He just did the one. It was. I don't think he would never do it again, but it was more just a bucket list thing. And, and there was a King of the Cage card in Cold Lake and uh, it was just opportunistic. Yeah, fuck it. I'll do it. Um, yeah, he, he can fight for sure. He's a good, good, good at jujitsu, really good at jujitsu. Uh, like I said, he teaches uh, jujitsu when it's allowed. 
uh, out, out of the gym there in Bonneville. Um, right now he just had uh, ACL surgery. He had messed up his knee along like a couple of years back, but it took them a while to find out somehow that his ACL was fully torn. So, uh, yeah, I don't think you'll see him anytime immediately, but you never know. He might, he might pull his ass out of retirement one day, <laughs> but he's, uh, yeah. is he, he older or younger than you? He's two years younger than me. He's a, he's a working man. He, he, uh, does like does supply chain management. He, he, uh, he's had a lot of jobs recently. He's kind of keeps getting picked up by bigger, better places, but he, he sells, he sells, uh, valves and flanges and at a warehouse, out of a warehouse and, uh, uh, he's doing well, well for himself. Yeah, good. Uh, do you think if you, uh, move up the ranks a little bit, you might have some pull to give him and get him an opportunity and maybe in the Dana White contender series or anything like that to ever cross your mind? Well, he'd have to have a few more fights if, if he ever wanted to have a, a big shot, which I don't know if he does like, you know, he's, He's, uh, he's, he's pretty happy, comfortable doing what he's doing. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's something that's necessarily in his crosshairs. Of course, if it was, I could get him some fights, but I don't, I don't think necessarily that it is at least not at the moment. Uh, with, with your mom having that gym, um, did it give you, um, an advantage? Um, were you, uh, you know, when you were a kid, you went there, you, I guess, you know, you would work out a little bit, keep in shape, uh, maybe stay out of trouble a little bit. Did, uh, did it help you uh, on this road? I worked there. Um, I worked out a little bit, man, but not much. I was, I didn't really, I didn't really get into it until way later, honestly. Uh, it was great when we started doing it, but like when we started wanting to train because we had a space where we could do it, we, there was a whole kind of area that we just matted and, and, uh, trained in there so that was extremely advantageous at that point you were big on karate i think you did karate from 11 to 19 from what i heard uh karate was a big part of your mixed martial arts journey yeah i yeah yeah i did karate for yeah those those eight years ish um suppose it was influential on me yeah we grew up grew up doing it Yoda Machida was somebody I heard you mention as a, a guy that you looked up to because of his karate background in the UFC. Uh, when you saw him fight, uh, did you think, hey, you know, there's a guy with karate background. Maybe, maybe uh, I have a, a chance at this. Yeah, that was that was it. Um, Machida, you know, rose through the ranks, won the belt and he fought very karate you know even guys with a karate background you don't usually see fight in such a traditional stance with traditional punches and stuff like that and uh yeah it was machida i was a really big fan of him and i thought that uh yeah he was for sure a guy that i watched and i thought maybe you know maybe i maybe i could do that st pierre what about him yeah what uh, was he uh, somebody you looked up to canadian uh, had so much success yeah yeah of course everybody everybody loves gsp um watched all his fights was always stoked for a gsp fight uh yeah i was always a fan of gsp but he wasn't like a guy that i thought i could like model myself after or something like that uh and then i have tito ortiz's book here uh, i heard he was a guy you you really enjoyed did you get ever get a chance to read this book uh, this i actually actually i did read that book yeah um I read it a long, a long time ago now. 
but Tito, yeah, Tito was one of the first guys I kind of recognized on TV. Like I saw him like recurring, you know what I mean? Like he had so many fights that when they would be playing reruns on uh, Spike TV or whatever, there might be like a whole night of like Tito Ortiz stuff, you know, or something like that. And he was just a guy that I think I saw more than other guys and he's usually winning. And so I thought he was a badass for sure. He was a, I liked him. Yeah. When I was uh, like a teenager. Anybody else come to mind? Uh, for USC guys that you, you remember growing up, uh, Randy Couture, I guess is another guy that yeah, yeah. You, you like. Couture was, too. yeah, my dad was a really big Randy Couture fan. Like every single middle-aged white guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because he fought so, fought so long into his 40s yeah. and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's just a folk hero, really. Um, yeah, Couture was awesome. And then I was a really, really big fan of Clay Guida, and I still am. Guida's amazing. Carpenter, yeah. Great. Yeah, he's he got so much energy. He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, amazing. Uh, were you surprised that once the hiatus uh, from the COVID was done, that the UFC was able to pretty much put on a card every single weekend since. Were you surprised? No, I wasn't surprised. It makes complete sense. There's no other live sporting events. I'm sure that ESPN and TSN were strongly encouraging them to do so. And I'm sure there was a lot of financial kickback towards, uh, towards them. Tell me about the Apex and the Performance Institute. I understand that they are uh, absolutely world-class and uh, some two of the best facilities uh, in the whole entire planet for, uh, for what you do? Oh, they definitely have everything at the PI. Yeah. yeah. Everything. I mean, the, you know, the cold pools and the saunas and the blah, 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 blah is all closed because of COVID because COVID likes water or something. I don't know. And uh, yeah, the facilities are fantastic, man. It's unreal. The apex, you don't really get to explore it too much because that's where the fights are held. But uh definitely neat that they're able to own their own space with an octagon and put on fights out of there it was genius genius move yeah well it's fantastic that it's uh it's not part of the strip it's kind of on the desert out by itself uh it has a the ability to do that uh had you been to these facilities uh early on in your career or um, just when you you went to fight in vegas no i hadn't been there um they're only a few years old i think like i don't know how old they are but no i hadn't been to them before i fought there would you fight in vegas uh every every single match for the rest of your career uh, just being in a such a short flight and able to get in there and get huh. out uh, would you you know would you fight there every time vegas isn't a short flight anymore so to get there you have to fly to vancouver and fly to seattle and fly to somewhere else and then fly to vegas vegas takes a whole fucking day to get to now wow. Why so because COVID nothing makes sense anymore. It's just better to make everything worse. So um, no Vegas isn't actually a quick, nowhere's a quick flight. There's no quick flights unless it was in Canada. So uh, is what it is. I don't, I don't mind fighting in Vegas though. It's, it's all right. The hotel's pretty decent. And, um, you know, they, they got DoorDash. So. Uh, last weekend's card was in Florida in front of 15,000 fans. Uh, did you immediately, you, you watch this card, I, I, I imagine? I watched uh, some of it. Well, right at the very start of the early prelims, uh, there was just so much of a buzz, uh, incredible crowd, even though it wasn't full. When it was full, uh, did you see and feel and hear 
so much of a difference with the full crowd? Uh, I didn't watch the very start of the card, but I'm, I imagine that, yeah, it was just extremely electrifying. Uh, people are excited to be able to go to anything. So yeah, that you, uh, you know, a live sporting event with a card that's extremely hyped is going to be, uh, going to be a riot. In front of the fans again? Um, this next card I'm on, I don't think has fans at it. It's at the Apex. I mean, maybe there's a few people in there or something. I don't really know, but honestly, it doesn't matter to me if there's fans or not. I, I truly don't care. I'm there to just do a job, you know? You uh, you said that uh, you can hear your coaches fine uh, in a full crowd or no crowd. Uh, was there any difference in that regard? Nope. Can hear him either way. Uh, could hear my opponent's coaches, but two out of the three times they spoke Portuguese anyway. So, um, no, that's the same thing. Uh, do you see the, uh, uh, do you see the UFC, uh, giving you a ranking fairly soon? Do you care about rankings? don't care about rankings and it really depends on this fight and if i win this fight i guess i'll be closer to getting a ranking but i won't get a ranking if i win uh if i lose i'll be quite far away from a ranking so um no i don't really care either way well i care if i win or lose i don't care about rankings either way I mean, obviously you don't look. okay um what about your love of metal uh tell me about the the bands that you loved growing up and uh what do you listen to um, to get you get you going i actually like folk music <laughs> i like yeah? showcore because my my friend is is in it um but met i like metal growing up i really like system of a down and uh you know i guess if you're gonna count lincoln park as metal like lincoln park but i was never into like really heavy metal or anything like that um uh yeah i i like i like folk music i don't really listen to metal very much nowadays okay tell me some folk music that i have to hear i mean i, I really like uh, the tallest man on earth i don't know if you've heard of him uh i like uh, i like stan rogers real real classic kind of an oldie there you know um listen to some canadian artists like john brooks uh, i really like uh, I like Passenger, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I got to see Passenger live, and uh, I don't think many people in the crowd really knew anything about him. Uh, I seemed to look around, and not that many people were uh, watching him, and I was absolutely blown away by his performance and, and his story. And, um, yeah, he became one of my favorite artists, just seeing him live. Where did you see Passenger? It was at a concert in Stanley Park in Vancouver. Oh, and, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a big festival. It was a, uh, a run and yoga festival. And uh, there were some bands that were playing there. And I really wanted to go see some bands, uh, go to the beer garden a little bit. And uh, yeah, all of a sudden he steps out on stage, acoustic guitar all by himself, uh, started playing music. I was blown away. And then he's talked about his story just kind of, being one of those type of musicians that just travel the world with their guitar in their case, open it up on the street corner, play some music, hope to get enough to put them in a hotel for the night, eat, and then move on to the next town. It was a pretty remarkable story. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I saw him once as well at Folk Fest in uh, Edmonton here. Um, 
yeah, no, that's neat. He's definitely, he's got, I, I love his music and uh, that's definitely, he's got a cool story. Yeah. What about country music? Alberta is known for it's good country music and people love it all over. Uh, were you ever a fan? No, not overly. I don't dislike country music. It's just not something I listen to tons of. I really like Coulter Wall. I don't know if he's considered country or uh, some sort of folk. I don't know his exact genre. He's from Saskatchewan, but really like Col Coulter Wall. You know, Brett Kissel's from uh, Bonneville as well. So uh, I, I, I dabble, but it's um, not, uh, not my main genre of music, I guess. Danger Cats and uh, the fun you, you had doing that, uh, being Uncle Bo's and having fun with uh, your buddy there. Uh, how, how hilarious uh, of a time was that? Always fun hanging out with Hacksaw. He's, uh, he's a funny guy. Yeah, I, you made me laugh uh, on many of those videos. Uh, he's he's quite the card, and uh, yeah, I was glad you appeared with him a little bit. Uh, tell me about your Pokemon Pokemon love. Uh, where did that start, and and how did that even become a thing? Uh, well, I got a Game Boy when I was like eight or something, and I got Pokemon Blue, and that's probably where it started. I think you're referring to Pokemon Go. Did my coach tell you I played Pokemon Go in all those countries? Did Jeff do that? Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, I, I, Pokemon Go is a great time, man. It's fun. I got, I got no, I got no shame there. It's a great way to pass the time on Fight Week too. I know you've got angry at uh, some of the reporters when they've said, uh, "Hey, you should drop down to 205." And obviously, you know they're being idiots saying that kind of thing. Uh, but would you uh, be a proponent of? a 225 pound uh, weight category. So you'd split that up from between 205 and 265. Uh, seems kind of uh, a far distance. If they did that, then obviously that's the division I would fight at, but I don't, I don't uh, really care. It doesn't matter to me. You know, now in Ganu is a guy who couldn't make 225, but I mean, he could, probably could, but would he, I don't know if it would benefit him as much, but like Stipe, Cain Velasquez, all those guys weighed in at like in the Stipe and Cormier were like 230 and, and uh, uh, Velasquez was in the high 230s, or early 240s. All of those guys could have made that 225 or 235 or whatever you want weight limit quite easily. And then it's just, it just kind of goes to show that it splitting it up might there might not be a, a point if if the same guys would be running the show in both weight divisions because then you're just going to be doing super fights where the 225 pound champion would be fighting the 265 pound champion and if he can beat them then uh, why are you splitting the weight class how have you how have you liked the uh the way the heavyweight division has evolved at the top there stipe considered the greatest of all time dc and him having these battles now, Francis Ngannou is the champion. Uh, talk about John Jones trying to get in there and, uh, you know, fight. How have you liked it at the top of the heavyweight division in the UFC? Well, I mean, the top of the division's actually just been Stipe and Cormier fighting each other once a year for three years. So now with Ngannou, we're going to see some movement. It's nice. If Jones comes in and fights, Ngannou and Jones is the biggest fight they could possibly make. And if they don't, then I guess you do Derek Lewis and then... You do the winner of uh, Volkov and Gone. There's lots of there's lots of uh, awesome fights to make up there right now for sure. Do you remember seeing that Ngannou Lewis fight? Yeah. Not, not a not an enjoyable match to watch. 
No, it was uh, extremely boring and nothing really happened. But uh, Lewis has that win on his record. Uh, he did enough to win. Lewis had a messed up back and, and couldn't really do anything. And Nganu uh, had a mental block, I believe. I think he was just completely gun shy because of getting kind of broken in the first fight with Stipe. And uh, the fight was was boring. And sometimes it happens. I know everybody wants to see it, but sometimes, sometimes you don't see an opening and two guys that have bazookas for hands just don't feel like flipping that coin and hopping in there. So... I think if you see a rematch, it's definitely not going to be the same as the first fight. I think somebody's going to get knocked out. Well, that's nice to hear because I didn't like the the thought of those guys fighting again. They really, um, yeah, they just seemed very gun shy and uh, you know just felt each other. Other was almost no punches thrown the entire match. And uh, yeah, I mean, most Lewis, Lewis had Lewis had a messed up, really messed up. I think back, he just didn't even really want to fight, and he took it anyways, and. He landed a couple like kicks and, and he in his head, I think he's like, oh, fuck, I'm ahead. Like if he wants to come at me, he can come at me. If not, I'm just trying to stay upright. So Lewis went in there and a lot of people wouldn't have. So um, yeah, and Ganu and Ganu just was something happened mentally in between the Stipe fight and that fight. And then after that, he fixed it and he came back and he's crushed everybody since. So yeah, it wasn't a great fight, but these things happen. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I'm glad we got into so many different areas and glad to uh, learn some more about you. Uh, I, I hope we can do this again as things wear on. I'd love to do this uh, close to that June 5th fight, either uh, maybe a couple weeks before or a little bit after, uh, after uh, you raise your hand in victory. Uh, we're, we're pulling for you here uh, across Canada, obviously. A lot of my MMA fans were excited to hear that you were going to be a guest today and really appreciate your time. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, hopefully things go my way and we can uh, talk after. I want to do, I want you to mention your sponsors uh, though uh, before we go uh, so they can get a little plug here. Cool. Yeah, I know I got uh, PPS. That's Paul Pedal Services. I got Premier Built Garages. I got uh, Axe Monkeys and I have Mealcraft. So thanks to all my sponsors. Uh, appreciate everything. How do you like the Venom uh, New Deal? The New Deal? It's like the same thing. I mean, I don't know. I get like 500 extra bucks or something like that. I don't care. And it literally doesn't matter. You signed a new contract. Um, how many fights is that for? Is that for four fights? Uh, yeah, I signed it, but it's for four fights. But I, I signed it before I fought Pessoa, so it became active then. So I have two fights left on my contract. Okay. All right. Well, um, yeah, as I said, uh, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate the time. And uh, let's uh, keep in touch through Showcore. Uh, I'd love to uh, yeah, see you at one of these events and buy you a beer and uh, – and uh, good luck on June the 5th. Uh, I'd like to celebrate my birthday with a big win from you. Believe me, I'd like nothing more. So I'll try my best to make that happen. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. All the best. Take care. Take care, man. Okay. Have a really great day. We'll talk soon. You too. See ya. Okay. Okay, everybody. Uh... Thanks so much for tuning in. That was a, uh, a fantastic conversation with a UFC up-and-comer, Tanner Bozer. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, great guy. Good personality. Uh, yeah, I was excited to 
have him in as a um, as a guest here. And uh, yeah, I hope you liked it. Uh, it was uh, nice to get into so many fun different aspects of his life. And um, yeah, this mixed martial arts career that's uh, has a really amazing trajectory and, and going up and up and up. Uh, I want to mention our partners and sponsors. Uh, Anchor FM has been a great partner for Complete Sports Media. They've been fantastic on po posting on multiple podcast platforms for us. And if you go to Anchor FM, they call themselves the easiest place to make a podcast. So uh, Anchor FM is the place. Verbero, the hockey equipment and apparel company, they're industry leader in technology, performance and value. And as always, the B350 stick is a stick you need in your hand if you're a hockey player. Uh, Pampas and Possibilities, they design and sell dried florals. They do floral arrangements and installations. And Forever Living, the aloe vera company, they grow aloe vera based products for health and beauty. So just go to completesportsmedia.com for all the details. And it gives you the ability there to purchase products at reduced prices. So uh, yeah, give us a thumbs up, give us a like, uh, tell your friends and family uh, that you like this content. We're gonna get some more UFC fighters very soon. And we're gonna get some amazing guests on, on the complete sports media network. So very excited. Uh, thank you, Corey White for helping set this up. And uh, nice to be able to show some show core uh, video there. That was great. And uh, hopefully you can be a guest uh, for our podcast very soon. So uh, I appreciate as always, take care. Love you. Bye for now, everybody.